You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 14. My name's Jennifer, and I am joined today by two special guests. We have Corey Skultz and Carol LeClaire with Austin Creative Reuse. Corey is the Interim Executive Director since 2018, and Carol LeClaire is the Board President, and from what I understand, has been with the organization pretty much since it started. Um, so I want to let you guys talk a little bit about yourselves before we jump into our topic, and um, tell us you know, who you are, what you do, and what Austin Creative Reuse is. Okay, I guess I'll start. Um, yeah, I have kind of been there, not quite from the beginning, but I got here as fast as I could. Um, so I'm not technically a founding member, but I've uh, been on the board, uh, helped open our store, um, our center, which opened in September of 2015, um, worked on a lot of fundraising efforts to make that happen, uh, and have been a very active member of the community since then. Awesome. So- Corey. Um, I joined uh, uh, the organization as interim executive director just last year, um, helping to transition the organization through a period of growth and expansion. Um, but I first got involved uh, before the center opened as a, as a volunteer as well, helped with uh, organizing the first little pop-up center retail shop at a fundraiser. Um, and then uh, a few years later, joined the board as the sustainability chair. So been off and on involved with the organization for quite a long time. Awesome. So for those listening that aren't familiar with this concept, what is uh, a creative reuse store and what is Austin Creative Reuse specifically if it's different from your typical um, store like this? I'll let you take that one, Gordon. <laughs> Creative Reuse Center is a sort of hybrid of a social enterprise nonprofit. So we operate a retail store for reused materials, everything you can possibly think of that could be reused in a creative context. Um, And we also host a variety of community events, um, craft meetups, group volunteering, kids' workshops and adults' workshops in our center and out in the community. So our our mission is around conservation through reuse, um, and we do that both through the materials management side and through the educating, inspiring, and bringing community together around reuse. Awesome. So when I explain to people, you know, friends and people in the community what you guys are, I kind of tell them it's like a thrift shop for things you can't give to a regular thrift shop but still have use, arts and crafts products, uh, stationery, which is my personal favorite because I go crazy in that section, (laughs) Um, you know, scraps, yarn, uh, cloth scraps, yarn, anything you can think of. You guys even have regular household goods depending on what, you know, people bring in. Um, So... I was super excited, you know, as a consumer to find you guys. Um, I think I may have mentioned this in a previous conversation, but I actually found a different creative reuse store in Eugene, Oregon, before I met, you know, realized we had one in Austin. And I thought, wow, we could really use one of these where I live. And then I realized we have one already. So um, I love the concept. 
I love what you guys do to educate the community and to divert things from the landfill. Um, I think it's just super cool. And, you know, it's, uh, it's about time that we have more of these stores. Um, but, you know, kind of what is the genesis of this concept? And are you guys one of the first or, you know, did you model yourselves after other stores or centers? Well, um, so, uh, where we are definitely not the first in um, the U.S. In fact, not the first in the um, world. Uh, but in uh, the U.S., the scrap exchange in the Raleigh-Durham area has been going on for oh 30 plus years, um, wow. and they are a huge driver in that um, uh, in that area. For uh, they initially started as really a place to divert business waste. So they were taking the very few uh, donations from individuals, mostly from because uh, they have a lot of manufacturing there. So it was a lot of fabric waste and wood waste and things like that. Things that were were going in the landfill, but really had a creative upside to them. Um, and so that's where they started and they really expanded from there. Um, our founder, Rebecca Stutch, lived in the Raleigh-Durham area was a frequent shopper, a huge supporter. And when she moved to Austin, she said, oh, my God, we have got to have one of these here in Austin. Um, we actually have taken a little bit different tact. We Most of our donations do come from individuals, but we do, we're out there constantly trying to talk to businesses about what are the things that they have that, that have creative potential that are currently going in the landfill. Even just today, I was at the center, Corey was as well, and a man pulled up in a truck and he had a bunch of design samples from Four Hands Home or Four Hands um, Furniture Manufacturer who's here in Austin. It was a lot of wood samples, fabric samples, um, other design pieces that often once they change their design, just get thrown in the landfill. Um, but they're bringing them to us. Um, also, if you can think of uh, your craft drawer, which doesn't look that great, but if you were to bring that to us, we have this team of amazing volunteers and staff members who will sort your paper clips and your little gems and your embroidery floss. And we'll get that all separated out and basically bring the value back into that material. Yeah, I have to say I was super excited not just to be able to buy things from you guys, but to be able to give you the things that I was holding on to because I refused to throw it away. <laughs> and I, I didn't want it to go to the landfill, but I also knew like, I'm never going to use this. I intended, you know, I, you buy things intending yeah. to do all these projects and then half of them don't happen. So I was very happy to find a home for them where, you know, there would be people who are looking for the weird things that I'm getting rid of and vice versa. Um, so that's interesting that the majority of your stuff comes from individuals. Um, but do you have, you know, like partnerships set up with certain businesses that give you things on a regular basis or is it just kind of like a whenever they have excess? It's, it's some of both. So we do have some local businesses that very regularly have a certain material that uh, that they have sort of scrapped out of their production process or um, as Carol mentioned, sort of changing uh, inventory, uh, and we take those regularly. And then there's sometimes just a out of the blue um, a craft store shutting down and wanting to make sure that all the inventory that they built up it goes somewhere that's really valued. Um, 
but I would say that that we hear that experience that you have quite a bit of folks who who are sort of treasuring these materials, whether they bought them themselves and not used them or inherited them or come across them in another way, and they know that there isn't another diversion stream. They wouldn't be quite the right fit for a thrift store, um, and they want to send them somewhere where they know they'll be really valued. And that's sort of the, the superpower that I see in our community of, of our volunteers and staff. They can really recognize the value in all of those materials and sort of sort and curate and test them in a way that brings that value back. So they're, they're potential waste materials. They're headed for the landfill. They're donated to us for free, but it's a really massive amount of people power that goes into sort of bringing back the life to those and making them into an appealing retail center where people can be inspired by those materials. Yeah. So I guess the, the moral is if you're not sure, you can always ask, you know, bring it and, and see because Rather than throw it in the trash, um, there's it's more than likely that someone could use whatever it is. Because some of the stuff I've seen there, I'm like, I wouldn't have thought someone could make something out of that. Like you had, I think, graduation tassels, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, <laughs> CDs and, you know, things yeah. that as you're cleaning out, you're you're like, man, this is a shame that you can't recycle it, but you can upcycle it. Absolutely. Those graduation tassels actually came through a partnership with other reuse centers. We did a little uh, staff and board field trip to other reuse centers in Central Texas, and one that we visited had an entire uh, tractor trailer load of graduation tassels that had been donated <laughs> to, to them. So we've, we've started a little mini exchange among uh, our local centers to spread those materials around where they can be. Use. But yeah, there's there's absolutely, you can always call us and ask us, come in and ask us. And we also try to keep a pretty updated list on our website of materials that we're accepting or not accepting. Um, so that, you know, doesn't cover everything you could possibly think of, but it's pretty extensive. We can get an idea of the types of things that we accept. Awesome. And things that, um, you know, even like food containers or things that would typically be considered recyclable, you may be able to use those in your store actually rather than you know sending them to the waste stream um whether or not you can sell them it may be of use for you guys just to organize yeah. is that right talk about like highest and best use of a material um so recycling is not your first choice really um uh don't don't take it in the first place would be your first choice uh Second would be to find a way to reuse it um, and potentially recycle it. And then your last choice is always landfill. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people always, we grew up with that reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, but people don't realize that the order is very important. Um, and, and we've actually heard, like you said, refuse should be first. Try not to use it. If you have to use it, then reduce your use of it or, you know, up or re, excuse me, repurpose it. And then recycle it um, right. if you if you can't get through any of those. So that's a very good point. Um, so going back to I guess you know how you guys started, and you said that you did a lot of fundraising initially. Um, what was that process? I mean, how much did you have to raise? How long did that take? What was the you know kind of timeline I guess for when you guys or your founder thought of it, and then you guys actually opened your doors? So we're just about to hit our 10-year anniversary as a nonprofit. So we began as a nonprofit about 10 years ago. We did a lot of outreach. I mean, our founder, Rebecca, was really foresighted. She set up a lot of our um, 
like she wrote a beautiful mission statement and we've really stuck to that mission statement. We are a conservation and reuse organization and we've really tried to think of ourselves that way. Um, but the fundraising is just, uh, we, you know, it's like any organization, just getting enough money to be able to sign a lease because the way we fund our organization is primarily through center sales. And so we had to have a lease on a brick and mortar location um, and that's really what the fundraising pushed us through. Um, and so we had found a landlord who had enough faith in us to sign a long lease with us, a three-year lease. We're now going on four plus years with that same landlord um, and uh, looking for potentially a, a new larger space. But, um, I, you know, it really, in, in, in essence, it didn't take us that much to get launched. Um it was mostly just having people out there who knew where, knew who we were, a volunteer base, signing a lease and um, moving into the location. And we could not believe people showed up the first day. We started out open eight hours a week. You know, we were open on uh, Tuesday nights or no, what was it? Uh, it was Saturdays and Tuesdays or Wednesdays. <laughs> and we just, Every time we turn, every time we add more hours, pe more people just come. So <laughs> that's great. I think yeah. it's really a testament to the the real need for this type of organization in Austin, and to the effectiveness of having that sort of long ramp up period. So it wasn't just you know fundraising for an idea, but really sort of prototyping and testing out different experiences in the community, collecting materials, and having little pop up events, um, and doing crafts at community events, uh, really sort of seeing what people responded to and also getting a really sort of um, dedicated fan base so that when the center did open, it was busy and active from day one. There was already a large group of dedicated volunteers that were involved and, and invested in the organization and a, a group of customers ready to come in and shop on the first day. Uh, and that's, that's awesome. sort of allowed us to to maintain a pretty lean financial model. Um, so, you know, really, we we definitely rely on having our our staff people now to keep the center open the amount of hours that we are. Um, but it would not be possible to be selling materials at the very low prices that we are if we were dependent on staff to do all of the labor involved. So, it's really that combination of having. Um, staff there opening the center every day, um, but also volunteers putting a huge amount of time into both the processing materials, curating the center, and doing all of the sort of community outreach and strategy and planning um, to keep growing the organization. That's that's great. I mean, the fact that you guys were able to build that support um, and sustain it is is pretty awesome because I as you know, have a lot of experience working for a nonprofit and volunteering. And I've seen um, the struggles that go along with getting people to commit and then actually getting them to show up and follow through. So um, this is something obviously that people believe in and that um, the community as a whole has embraced, which I think is wonderful that you guys have been able to do that. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about these pop-ups that you did? Like what did you do at them and what kind of events did you hold them at? Uh, are there early events you have? <laughs> do you still do them, I guess? 
We we don't do pop-ups, but early on, we would have a big collection drive, uh, put it in someone's front yard, and then broadcast to all educators in Austin, hey, we have a bunch of free materials, and they would come and they would just clean it up. Um, And it was a lot of stuff from from businesses, quite frankly, some stuff from individuals, um, some of our of our businesses who still donate quite a bit to us had supplied us with a lot of these really valuable materials, uh, like sticker material, um, like just roll and rolls of paper and rolls of fabric. Um, designers have been wonderful, like de- uh, interior decorators and designers bringing us that, you know, these different types of samples, you know, like interior decorating samples and things like that. Um, so those are going to pop ups, but we love getting out in the community. Um, and so we probably three to four times a month, we are at a arts organization, like, um, say like the Violet, um, um, Maplewood, uh, the Christmas show they have at Maplewood. I can't remember the exact name of it now. Fair and the Violet Crown Festival. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do something with creative action, uh, later this month. Um, so we regularly interact with, um, the community and so many people find us that way just by going out there and telling them about us. They're, they get so excited, just like you are so happy to find a place for your creative materials to go. So often that's how people first engage with us. They're like, oh my God, I have so much fabric that I'm never going to use. I'm so excited that I can bring it to you. Um, and now they're a member of, of our community. That's awesome. I think, um, you know, in communities like mine that don't have one of these stores, uh, it's important, you know, to think of ways that maybe we can do something in lieu of starting a center if that's not possible at this point. And these pop-ups sound like it might be a great opportunity, you know, if we do, if we had a group that wanted to do a drive to collect some of these materials and then go to an event or, like you said, just kind of you know, open up somebody's yard and tell people, come on out and <laughs> and see what we've got. Um, so, so for the folks listening, uh, it seems like that might be an interesting way to, you know, to, to kind of dip your toe in it or at least try to divert some items from the landfill. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say another important part of the events that we do in the community is um, having folks sort of teach a hands-on craft or activity um, to really show people uh, in a hands-on way how they can use those materials and inspire them. Um, some folks will just sort of see the materials and, and know exactly what they want to do. And, and some people, that's overwhelming. And we can introduce a little project or craft something that they're going to be excited to take home. And that's going to keep those materials moving, but it's also going to be a physical reminder in that person's life that, oh, this is the little business card holder that I made an event with Austin Gray Debris, or this is the uh, spin art record uh, wall piece that I made. Um, and it's sort of a constant reminder of the breadth of things that we can reuse and the ways that we can do that uh, throughout our everyday lives. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, you're not just selling this stuff, you're showing them how to use it. And you're kind of training them to think as they go through their daily lives, before they throw it away, what could that be used for? Hey, I could make, you know, something out of this um, or someone else could potentially. So that is pretty awesome. Do you guys have, um, you know, people that kind of specialize in certain materials or certain objects that you have as your teachers? Or do you kind of just train people as they come in to, to do that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I would say the vast majority come from, you know, volunteers or staff that have an idea about a particular project they'd like to, to work on. So we have right now a, a monthly craft night at uh, Easy Tiger in the same shopping center with us. And each month it rotates to a different staff person who comes up with their own project and um, gathers the materials in the center for it. Uh, and then over the years, uh, volunteers have also built up sort of idea libraries and we keep oh, cool. records of those things in our, uh, in our shared drive so that people can kind of look through and, and get inspired. Um, and something we'd really like to do more of when we have a little bit more space is to have more of those examples in the center so people can kind of look at a shelf of materials and then see an example of something that was made with that, maybe be able to pick up instruction sheets or look online at a tutorial video for how to use it. Uh, something we've dipped our toes in, but definitely hope to do more. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You, and I see that you do like monthly contests with certain items. This is the item of the month, and who who can make the the neatest thing out of it, right? Is that yeah, still yeah, absolutely. So we definitely source ideas from uh, the broader community and try to sort of give people little challenges. That this is the material we're having trouble figuring out what to do with, and the quantity that we get it. Um, and we see some really amazing ideas uh, come in that yeah, way. That's it seems so, like a very effective way to get people excited about it, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can win a little prize get, um, with your winning idea. Uh, and then we also can continually share those on social media. We have a lot of interaction with our Instagram and Facebook um, of people sort of showing customers coming back the next week after buying something and showing us what they've made with it. And then we that out to the community as well. Awesome. Um, so when you let's go back to, I guess, how you guys kind of started the store. Uh, did you look at other stores? I know you said there's one in, in Raleigh, Durham. Um, did you actually visit other places and get ideas or did you guys kind of come up with the concept, you know, for your location on your own? Um, I think I think it's kind of interesting. The the genesis of the idea did come from Rebecca's uh, uh, relationship with the Raleigh Durham Scrap Exchange, <clears throat> but we you do kind of just learn things as you put together these centers, um, uh, ways to better sort items. Um, we have a big thing about we don't want to touch an item more than one or two times. So how do we get our micro sorting and our bringing the value back into that item as fast as possible? Um, like I said, Corey had mentioned, we have this army of volunteers who are so happy to come in and put puff balls into little baggies. Um, we get the little baggies from a store that is a, a she's a, a, it's a big jewelry designer and she gets a lot of little plastic baggies and she gives them to us. Thank God. And we are happy to put little things into plastic baggies. Um, but, uh, we have had this in this last six to eight months, we have really tried to reach out to a lot of reuse centers and get the best of their ideas. Um, and we have found that we often are very, very much like other reuse centers. In some ways we are not. And um, it's been really fun to find out how they are approaching reuse and how can we incorporate the best of their ideas into our center? Because not every, not every center has the same mission that we do. Um, there are some that are very much focused on teachers and education. There are some that are really clearly focused on artists. Um, there are some that are really focused on, on keeping business waste out of the landfill. 
Um, and some are nonprofit, some are run by school districts, some are funded by city, city grants. Um, all, there's so many different models out there. Um, ours, uh, we feel very comfortable with ours. Ours is really driven by retail sales. We do get, um, city grants, but it's not something that we're dependent on for our, um, for our future. And you mentioned that there were a few others in this region. Um, so what, is that in Austin or is that kind of in the, just the greater central Texas area? Recently visited the Wellman project in Fort Worth, which is, um, one of the centers that's solely focused on educators. Um, so they have a, a warehouse where they're collecting sorting materials uh, and then they open it up to all educators in their area to come and get materials for free. So they're, they're primarily grant funded. Um, and then we also visited Scrap Denton, which is another model pretty similar to ours um, in that they do sort of that broader range of a retail center and um, some workshops in the center and some work in the community. Um, and they're a bit smaller than us, but a, a similar model. And then, you know, whenever our staff and board members and volunteers travel, we all have this sort of honing in on where's the local reuse center that we can check out. Um, so we just had a board member come back from visiting a center in Boulder um, and one in Edmonton. Uh, I was recently in the Boston area and visited the Beautiful Stuff Project, which is another um, sort of similar model. Uh, another staff member visited Materials for the Arts in New York recently, which is uh, part of their solid waste department um, and works to get materials into the hands of nonprofits and artists and, and educators. Oh, cool. Yeah, I have to say now when I travel, that's one of the things I, I look for. I'm like, okay, is there a reuse center? In addition to like the typical things you look for, like food and activities, because that's a unique um, aspect of a community, I think. And your every store is going to be different. And every, you know, like you said, everything you find, it's like treasure hunting. You never know what you're going to get if you're going to yeah, walk away with nothing or a bag <laughs> way to kind of get a, a little wind, deeper window into a local community and um, and meet people who are excited to to share about their experience with reuse. Yeah, it's it's definitely an, a really neat um, and different way to get to know the community, like you said, and also kind of think creatively because it, it does get your juices flowing when you're looking at something thinking I could do something with that. I don't know what, but <laughs> yeah. And I think awesome. it's really growing. We've seen more and more pop up um, in the last few years. I think there's just sort of a snowballing effect and the momentum um, is really taking off. Uh, and in a way it's sort of normalizing reuse. The model, the model spreads, it's proving that reuse centers are a great way to people to invite people into these conservation practices they might not have thought they were a environmentalist <laughs> someone who was really interested in upcycling but once they come into you know retail center is a very accessible uh inviting environment it's something that people are used to going in and shopping in a craft store so it's not that different <laughs> um and then once they they come in and get involved then there's all kinds of ways for them to engage more deeply but that sort of that retail um, platform we find is a great way to, to get people um, in the door and get them involved. And I think that, that that's being proven to work in so many different communities and, and each one is sort of tailored to its local community, mm -hmm. but it's engaging with people on a, in a broader way. 
Yeah, and the good thing, I think I think the thing that makes it the most effective is that you're saving them money. So you're you're tricking them into being environmentalist, even if that's not what they're thinking of. They're saving money, therefore, oh, I'm going to go back, even if that's the farthest thing from their mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't think that, you know, we can we can hope to make the sort of massive behavior change that we desperately need in terms of environmental crisis by making people feel bad or, you know, right. things just because it's the right thing to do. But if we have a model that is saving people money, um, it's exciting and fun. It's a place where people can connect socially and, um, and do something that's like really enjoyable. So there's so many reasons to get involved and then you can get to on top of that, feel great about your environmental impact. Yeah. See all the things that we're doing, not just the reuse stuff, but everything environmental really makes more sense economically, um, which I think is a better argument for some people than this is the right thing to do. You know, there's always going to be those folks that are doing it for the right reasons, but we also are lucky that the economics is on our side. Yeah, yeah. So. absolutely. And that, that makes it truly accessible to all. We want to, you know, our, part of our pricing philosophy is that, you know, we don't give away materials for free. We want to recognize that these materials really have value, but at the same time, we never want price to be an object to, you know, an obstacle to someone expressing themselves creatively or, uh, reusing materials. So we make sure that, you know, our prices start at, at one cent for some items <laughs> <laughs> go from there. But, um, but there's always a priority on making sure that it's, that price is never going to stop someone from coming in and yeah. being. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, I, and you mentioned, you know, all these different stores uh, throughout the country. And what I think is great is that you all are willing to help each other and kind of learn from each other and there's not really competition. Um, you're, you're all doing this for, you know, good reasons for the same reasons, pretty much to divert things and to help your local communities. Um, so I love that there's that, you know, open, um, supportive relationship between all these organizations. It's a really collaborative community. Um, I feel like I can call up a read center anywhere in the country and people are going to be happy to chat with me about what they're working on. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, we get asked occasionally if like, well, if another reuse center opens, I'm not going to compete with you. We, we really see the more the merrier. Um, you know, we, we don't look at Austin and say like, well, there's already a target, so we don't need any other retail stores. <laughs> we need, our goal would be to replace every new retail store with a, with a reuse version. So there's a lot of room for people to come in and kind of put their own stamp on the model and, and mm-hmm. do of the plethora of reuse models. Yeah, because really all you're doing is increasing the amount of stuff you're diverting. Mm-hmm. When you have a model, you know, you have a store in North Austin, South Austin, Central. I mean, that's just more opportunities for people to actually bring stuff to you and you guys resell well, it. So We want it to be accessible and convenient for everyone to reuse. Um, and we do try to be mindful of not you know, overlapping with other organizations that are already providing service. So if something is, you know, an item that sells well in thrift stores, it mm-hmm. we won't focus on because there's already a good option for that. Um, we want to make sure we're serving a, a need that isn't being met elsewhere. So we do, um, you know, stay mindful of really defining our, our boundaries um, as a unique center. But I think there's so much room for uh, all different types of reuse to increase in Austin and, and everywhere else. 
Yeah. Awesome. So, um, Tell me a little bit about, you mentioned that, you know, the store couldn't run without the massive volunteer army you have. How, how many um, volunteers and hours does it take to keep a store running? You know, basically you guys are open, what, seven days a week, full time, I'd say from. Yeah, so our, nine or ten. a couple of days that our retail center isn't open, but we still have volunteer activities going on. Um, so someone's there doing something uh, every day of the week. Uh, in the last year, we had over 6,000 volunteer hours uh, put into the center. Uh, and that comes in the form of uh, our, we have a core of volunteers who really are trained on every aspect of running the center and can kind of drop in and, and work on whatever their specialty is at any time. And then we have several open volunteering times um, that people can just drop in without any previous experience or training. Um, and we have people who come regularly to those, um, people who just drop in once. And we also do group volunteering for other nonprofit groups, for employee groups. It's We find it's a really fun team building building activity for people to come out and do some micro sorting together um, and tour the center and learn about what we're doing. And they really make a valuable contribution to, to our materials process as well. How old do you have to be to volunteer? Do you take kids like scout troops or is it just 18 and up? Um, we have worked with, with youth groups um, and, you know, we just make sure that we have someone who's available to work with them. So we schedule them in advance, but um, we have a, a long-standing relationship with Generation Serve that uh, does uh, work with, with young volunteers. Um, and yeah, we have people of all ages in the center. Great. So if you're in the Austin area and you're looking to get some volunteer hours or get involved or even just learn uh, something new, this sounds like a great uh, option. And obviously, uh, if you have a group then get in touch with them so you can, you know, kind of get connected with that as well. Or if you have ideas, I, I would say probably for, you know, workshops or items that you can make into things. It sounds like y'all are always open to those Absolutely. as well. We have a um, an artist-run workshop series where each month we bring in a different artist who uses a reused material in their work. Um, and they share a technique with the folks who sign up for that workshop and, and it's a way that we can help promote their work as well. So there's a form for that on our website if you want to sign up to teach a work. Cool. Um, and there's contact info to, to find out when our open volunteering hours are and schedule group volunteering. Do you guys charge for these classes? You've mentioned several different workshops you do. Yeah, so we have a variety of models. So we have um, the artist workshop and a kids workshop once a month um, that are a ticket price. And then we also have a monthly craft night um, that folks can come in for free anytime. And we do craft activities out in the community for free as well. Awesome. Um, so what does the future hold for ACR? Do you, you, you mentioned maybe some expansion. It is a pretty like tight space if you go in there, but you guys have maximized every inch of it and you have shelves and things hanging on the walls. So what does the future look like, though? Carol, do you want to answer this one? <laughs> we are, we're, we're currently in negotiations on a much, much larger space. Um, we think it's a space that we can eventually grow into. Um, you know, the real estate market is very tough here in Austin. Um, we uh, 
the space we pay for, we have now, we pay full market retail price for it. We don't get any special break from our landlord. Um, but, um, we are definitely looking for a much, much larger space. And part of that is because we really feel committed to expanding our community. It is great that you can bring stuff to us and drop stuff off for donations and that you can come shop with us. But the thing is, we really want to bring people together. Part of our mission statement is about community building. And we're super committed to having places that people who are interested in reuse can come together either for just uh, meetups, special interest groups, to take a class, um, to bring their children so their children can embrace reuse. Um, so we have a lot of plans. We're just uh, still waiting to make those plans a reality. Awesome. Can't wait to see what you guys do. And yeah, the bigger the space, I guess the more stuff you can collect and the more classes you can offer and activities for groups. So I would encourage folks to, to sign up for our newsletters on, on our website and follow us on, on social media, um, especially on Facebook and Instagram. We're itching to make an announcement about a very big move. And the minute we <laughs> do, we'll be putting it out on all of those channels. That's great. What is your um, website and social media, just so everyone knows? So it's just oftencreativereuse.org, our website, um, and we're Often Creative Reuse on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest as well. Awesome. So uh, I have to ask this because I'm sure a lot of folks are thinking this, but what is the strangest or most unique thing that's come into the store uh, or that you've heard about, you know, you're like, what, what is that? Or what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> well, I, I solicited uh, answers to this question. And here are a few of the most things <laughs> I heard about. Um, human molars, gold pills, uh, oh. pine quills was mentioned more than once. Um, that's been a repeat donation. Um, pine quill, a, you said? Porcupine quills. Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> A unique instrument, 35-stringed instrument from Sweden that uh, no one had ever heard of before. Um, a four-foot-long cool. dried gourd, um, which was actually immediately snapped up by one of our staff people. <laughs> uh, and then we one time had someone leave a live goldfish in a tank in our parking lot, which we do not encourage. That is not something we accept. But uh, we set it near the register, and uh, someone came in and adopted it that day. <laughs> we'll do everything in power to make sure that everything finds a new home. I'm surprised a bird didn't snap that up if it was left alive. We do also get – I, I actually am a bit of a sewing machine aficionado. It's definitely my wheelhouse. And we get some lovely, lovely vintage machines donated that are in absolute spectacular condition. And it's a thing that I love. I love testing an old machine and watching it work like a charm. Um, I just tested uh, one from the 60s today, and a, a white sewing machine that just works beautifully. It needs to be oiled and cleaned. Uh, came in a beautiful table. Um, I mean, it's just, it's like, wow, that yeah. is a fantastic donation and something that someone will have literally for the rest of their lives. That was my next question is, yeah, do they work normally or do people just kind of drop off? 
We, yeah. we, we get them in all states. We get them where they are out for $5 because we can't figure out how to fix them. And um, we put out a couple of really beautiful uh, singers today that are antique treadle models, but they don't have all their parts. So I can't test them. And so they went out for a fairly low price. Um, so, you know, it just depends. Um, I think that's been sort of an unexpected category that when, once we started soliciting donations of sort of craft and creative and art materials, then a lot of the sort of equipment and tools tends to come along with that. So mm -hmm. we have beautiful um, yarn section. And that's one of my favorite places to shop because, you know, really nice wool yarn can be very pricey, but mm -hmm. we get, you know, people's uh, aspirational knitting projects that they <laughs> realized they weren't going to complete and we get to to give their beautiful yarn a new home. And then, of course, when people sort of move on from a activity and all of the the needles or whatever tools and equipment they have acquired to to use with those materials can come along with those donations so it really can be a kind of one-stop shop for yeah all the creative activities yeah. I think a few years ago we had um, it may have been just last year we had a fellow who would come in with just like a box truck full of really nice art materials he was driving from kansas to bring us materials because wow. he didn't know how to bring them. His mother had passed away. Aww. He had all these materials for her. He did not want them to go in the landfill. Um, you know, I don't, he may have had an Austin connection and that's why he knew about us, but it was like, oh, you again with another book <laughs> full of gorgeous things. Thank you. You know, that's awesome. That's so neat. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, uh, the attachment we have to these things. Mm -hmm. And like similar to him, I had a lot of yarn that I had inherited from my grandmother that I didn't ever re I realized I would never get through. So I gave it to someone whose mom, you know, did that kind of stuff. And she she actually uh, quilted me a scarf out of it, which was super touching. But I was mm -hmm. so glad to give it to someone that I knew would use it and not just, you know, see it go to the thrift shop and who knows what would happen to it. So. Um, it, it is really neat that we we get so attached to material objects, but that we can also make such a difference in other people's lives by kind of sharing them with them, you know, in this way. So, um, let me see. I'm still plugged in. Okay, so um, I think that's most of the questions I had. Uh, real quick, do you guys have anything else you want to go over that maybe we didn't touch on or uh, just talk about ways that people can get involved one last time. Yeah, I would say um, the, the best way to get involved is just, you know, come into our center anytime we're open so that you can see for yourself um, what we're what we're talking about and sign up for classes, workshops on our website. Follow us on social media for inspiration and ideas and to uh, find out what's new in the center. We, we do a weekly post of all the sort of really exciting new things that come in. And the next morning, we usually have a line out the door of folks who <laughs> are ready to claim those items. Um, and sign up with us to volunteer or drop in on one of our, our drop-in uh, volunteer times. I think that it, it tends to be a really great experience and also a great way to sort of connect with others who maybe share an interest or a passion. For this work. Carol, would awesome. you add, add any? Uh, um, well, since I'm the board president, I have to say you could always 
you know, we are always looking for new board members. If you have a particular skill in business, social media, um, uh, in uh, accounting, um, uh, if you have retail experience, particularly if you have business giving class, if you have experience giving classes um, or uh, setting up programming, if you're an educator, um, we are always looking to expand our education program because we feel like we have such a big impact there. So um, we are always looking for new board members, uh, new committee members. So. And what is the, I guess, time and uh you know, what is the commitment involved with being a board member for an organization like this? So we have a monthly board meeting. Uh, it's usually first, uh, second Monday of the month um, in the evening from 6 to 8. It's near our center. So the board meeting is generally in central Austin-ish, north central Austin. Um, we generally uh, expect board members to head up a committee. So say you have a lot of experience with um, an educator or if you are an educator, then we might have you also um, do some work with our educator committee. So generally, it's not a huge time commitment for board members, um, like during the day, because we understand uh, literally all of them have full-time jobs. Um, so uh, it's something that they can do uh, at least once a week, um, uh, do something to help us through uh, with their talent. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up since I know a lot of folks may think I can't volunteer during the day or I have a family and I'm very limited in what um, time I can give you throughout the month. But um, be serving on a board is very important, um, and many nonprofits are are always looking for you know eager qualified folks. And I think a lot of people think they have to have all these years of experience or they have to be a professional, and really they just need to have a desire to make a difference and a little bit of knowledge or, you know, willingness to learn in most cases, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's such a wide variety of skills that can, that can help us out um, that, you know, people may not even realize that those things are valued. So it's always, it's always worth checking in and um, we can always find a way to, to plug you in. And I would say also there's a big range. So we have board members who just um, you know, can only do a few hours per month right now. And then we have other board members who are um, at the center all the time, really keeping us going in, in really big ways. Um, Carol's an example of that. <laughs> the latter group, um, who we, we could not survive without. Um, but there's definitely ways to get plugged in if you, if you can only start with a little bit of time. And there's also a lot of things that people can do from home. Um, so one of the really valuable things that different board members bring is connections to other communities that we're not a part of yet. So we have a really great, diverse community, but we know there's a lot of people that we're not reaching with or that we, yeah, or that we don't have relationships with. So even just being a person who can come in and say, you know, I can do some outreach in, in this community that I'm a part of um, that isn't connected with Reuse or with the center. Um, that's really valuable. There's things that can be done, you know, we say, you know, five minute volunteering, um, sharing our social media stories and send an email to invite someone to a workshop you think they'd be interested in. Um, so there's a, a really wide range of, of ways that people can help out. That's awesome. Yeah. And if, if you're not in the Austin community, of course, get involved in your local reuse center. Uh, if you don't have one, maybe consider starting one or doing some of these pop-ups that we've talked about. I know I, I've spoke with you offline about, you know, I'd love to see one of these where I live, which is about an hour north of Austin. Um, and for folks that are maybe thinking of, of 
starting a store or center, um, what advice would you give or what would you tell them as kind of first steps based on your both of your experience? I mean, I would say there's sort of two answers to that. One is to go, you know, visit and learn or read online about all of the different models that are out there and get inspired about all the different ways that it can be done. But also, um, I'd encourage people to just jump in and get started, even if it's just in a small way. Um, and by sort of starting some small part of it, um, whether it's just like hosting a local Reese craft meetup at your local coffee shop or doing a material drive and getting um, materials into schools or whatever it may be, um, that just by starting it, you build momentum and you inspire other people to get involved and you may find, you know, the process of opening a reuse center like ours seems daunting or overwhelming or more work than you can take on. But once you get started with one small piece of it, then it will draw in all the other people who have something to contribute to it. Sarah, what else would you add from uh, the, the starting and momentum building? Oh, yeah. oh, it's hard to think we was so much it was it was work but i tell you once we got there i was so ha i cannot tell you my happiness on the first day we were open <laughs> it was so delightful people showed up and people bought things and people thanked us for being there it was very very rewarding that's awesome i'm glad that you guys um you know, have been able to share this information, this your your knowledge and your uh, experience with all this. And I think you guys are doing amazing work. I can't wait to see where ACR goes from here. And um, we really appreciate you guys giving us your time and being on the show tonight. Um, so, if there's a, is there anything else you guys want to share that we haven't talked about or that you wanted to harp on any further, or <laughs> did we cover every, all the important stuff? Yes, if we had like a fun reuse thing that we just do in our daily lives. I don't know if that's time to share that now. Yeah, so we can move uh, on to our green life okay. hack, which is uh, oh, kind of okay. your, I guess, something that you do or that uh, an item that you use or, uh, you know, just a practice that you would share with others that they could maybe implement into their lives. My my favorite, and it's so dumb i mean you know when you think about it but we eat a lot of cereal we eat a lot of cereal for breakfast so i get these wax paper bags all the time that had cereal in them and i rinse them out i have literally never bought a box of ziploc bags it has never happened and i save them and i use them i send sandwiches i put sandwiches in these wax paper bags to send for lunch especially when like my kids need a disposable lunch um, I save all kind. My freezer is full of wax paper bags full of leftovers. Um, they're very sturdy. They just take, and then you just take a binder clip, which we, I get from ACR, and you clip the top closed, and you have this perfect bag. So it's like it's a very silly thing, but I have, you know, that's I like I said, I just don't buy plastic bags. I never have, and I never will. So that's pretty ingenious, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah, most people probably have tons of and they just toss or right you know don't think twice about it but uh yeah that's a great way to upcycle something into something more useful Corey, do you have something you'd like to share or yeah so two two came to mind for me one was inspired by by the work that apr has been doing and um getting school supplies that are uh 
sent to the waste stream at the end of the school year back into circulation. Um, we, we did a pilot with a couple of schools this year supplying all of their supplies, but then I also realized that, oh, and my own, for my own kids going back to school, obviously I need to just get everything from ACR. It, it's, it's such a ritual to go through that buying new stuff. Um, but I think it's with the next generation that we really have the ability to kind of change that mind, mindset from the start and just start fresh with a, you know, it's, always better to reuse something that can um, that still has a lot of life in it. So we had a fun time decorating old folders and notebooks with stickers so they felt new and exciting um, and and getting back to school without buying a single new thing. Um, and I would say more generally that like I think a lot of times making a more sustainable choice can seem intimidating or it often seems expensive or they're marketed a lot of pricey products to you know, buy this fancy reusable thing, um, but really the most sustainable thing that you can do is to reuse something that you own or to buy something resale. Um, buying secondhand is absolutely um, by far the most sustainable choice that you can make. Um, so if you're a, a thrift shopper for your clothes, if you're a buy a used car person, if you're a you know any of that range of things that we buy secondhand, just recognizing that as as the most sustainable choice that you can make. Um, and I've been inspired recently to try to uh, alter my, my thrift store clothing. I'm a sort of basic competent sewer. Um, but the, the skill that I've been trying to build recently is doing alterations. Cause I think a lot of times when we go out and we're looking for something new and we end up with something that looks a lot like what we already have in our closet, it's really just because we're sort of looking for a better fit or we're looking for like a version of what we have that's just slightly works for us a little bit better. Um, and when we can alter what we have or, you know, go to a good tailor instead of going to a new store, um, we can really prevent the, the consumption of a lot of unnecessary resources and, and reduce our footprint in a big way. Yeah, that's a great point. Definitely. Um, as I've gotten more active, environmentally over the last few years I, I mean I've always shopped at thrift stores but I've been a lot more conscious about I don't need to buy that new I could get that not only cheaper but just as good a shape um, somewhere else so just making that concerted effort is, is a great idea um, and and on a similar note my green life hack uh, since we're talking about reuse and and upcycling um, would just be to check your local um, Craigslist or Nextdoor or Facebook marketplace pages and look for free stuff um, because people are always giving perfectly usable things away or they're selling it for very cheap. Um, I just picked up a, a huge stack of Tupperware and um, containers to store things in the other day. Someone just posted free and I said, I'll take them and I have no idea what I'll do with them, but <laughs> I have them and when I go zero waste shopping now I have more containers to put stuff in and um, I also will take them to restaurants and you know use those instead of asking for a plastic bag or styrofoam or something so check out um, like I said Facebook marketplace and Craigslist have a lot of stuff but I also noticed on next door uh, if you have that in your neighborhood um, people will just post curb alert or they'll just say you know meet me at my house or meet me here and I'll give it to you so great way to find new free stuff too you know uh -huh. Um, 
Well, thank you, ladies, again, so much for being on. Real quick, uh, let our listeners know where they can find you online if you would like to share your page or um, ACR's page again, feel free. Yeah, we're at austincreativereuse.org. Um, and I am also at forwardimpactfwdimpact.org and coreyskulp.com. I think you can catch me at president at austincreativereuse.org. Great. Well, and I, as always, can be found at Het's Gonna Be Me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Of course, you can find the show, uh, Sustainably Geeky, on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, and Spotify, and um, we and, and iTunes. Um, and we do appreciate you all listening. Uh, we hope that you like the show, and if so, you'll give us a five-star rating or subscribe to us and share us with your friends so that more folks can listen. Um, definitely let us know what topics you want to hear about. If you have ideas or if you are interested in being a guest on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. And again, ladies, thanks for being on and everyone have a good night. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 